So Money, episode 248, Alan Moore. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Thanks for joining me once again, everyone. This is So Money, and I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I've got a wonderful guest today whom I recently met on a business trip. You know, those things are still good for networking. I went to Podcast Movement back in August, and I had a great time, met a lot of people face-to-face whom I normally just hear about or email with. And one of those gentlemen was Alan Moore, and we were seated next to each other at the Starbucks in the hotel, got to talking, and I I said, you, sir, need to be on the show. He is a certified financial planner and the co-founder of XY Planning Network. It's a fee-only advisory and location-independent financial planning firm. So if you're in Boston and you want a financial planner, if you're in Honolulu, if you're in Paris... Alan can connect you with someone who can work with you remotely. He co-created this company because he and his business partner just felt that Gen X and Gen Yers, many of you listeners, were being ignored by the bigger traditional financial planning firms. And I had to agree. And so they wanted to fill this void with the creation of XY Planning Network. He is also the president of Serenity Financial Consulting, which is in Milwaukee. It specializes in providing financial planning advice and investment management services to individuals and families so that they can achieve their financial goals on an as-needed or hourly basis, kind of like a la carte financial planning. Alan has been recognized for his work by Investment News, naming him among the 40 under 40 in financial planning, and by Wealth Management as one of the 10 to watch in 2015. Well, he's also one to listen to on this podcast, several takeaways from our interview, including the biggest issues he helps his young clients with when it comes to money, how the financial services industry is changing to cater to younger and first-time investors and how he is paving the way, and a cool exercise Alan does with clients to help them realize what their quote-unquote great life should be. You should definitely try this at home. Please welcome Alan Moore. Alan Moore, welcome to So Money. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure being on. We met at Podcast Movement, and I had I, I consider that a lucky meeting because I was outside sitting on at, on a chair outside Starbucks in, I think it was, was it the Hyatt in Fort Worth? Not um, drinking coffee. Not drinking coffee. I was periscoping and, and I got the chance to meet you as well as Sophia Barra, who's been on the show. Got to learn a lot about this kind of the space that the two of you are really cracking, which is all about helping younger individuals and families with their money. You don't have to be a millionaire. You want to be someone who's ambitious, who's who's careful and caring about their money, and someone like Alan Moore can help you. So very excited to introduce you to our audience, who I feel like I'm just giving them more of what they want at this point by introducing you, because they do come to me and they say, Farnoosh, I'd like to start thinking about managing my money more professionally with the help of a professional. How do I go about doing it? between the wealth advisors and the robo advisors, you know, it's sort of like the Goldilocks effect. Like we, wh- where do we go with this? The, 
the wealth advisors are too expensive. The robo-advisors, whom I've had on the CEO Betterman, John Stein, they might be a little too hands-off. I want someone who understands me and knows where I'm going, but isn't going to... Where where do you fit into this equation? You're absolutely right that it's there's this big gap between um, the technology that's out there and folks that I would say are taking advantage of many clients uh, through selling products that may not be appropriate, whether it be insurance or investment, and then f- traditional financial planning, which has been built for the wealthy. And we kind of looked at that and said, well, what about everybody else? What about us? You know, the, yeah. as, as a young person myself, I mean, I'm 28, you know, where would I go to find a financial planner? And there really wasn't anywhere. Um, and that's actually, um, the, it's not the fact that consumers don't have enough money that it's not, you know, if you're listening to the show, this is not your fault. This is our fault as an industry. And, and we have to take responsibility for that. So we kind of built a profession around helping rich people spend their money. And we're trying to change that. And the way that we're changing that is by creating a business model and a, and a service model and a fee structure that makes financial planning accessible to folks, mm-hmm. whether you have a million dollars in debt or a million dollars in assets or anywhere in between. Talk about XY planning. So the XY Planning Network is a group of advisors that are passionate about serving Gen X and Gen Y clients. Um, so historically, um, as a Gen Y myself and, and, and Gen X, just in general, have been completely ignored because we didn't have enough assets to be the clients of wealthy, you know, wealth managers. You know, you needed a million dollars or more. And even if you have a great income and you're saving and you're doing all the right things and doing everything Farnoosh is telling you to do, uh, ultimately, you're not you're just not there yet. And so the XY Planning Network uh, has, as of today, about 120 uh, financial advisors spread across the country that are dedicated to working with Gen X and Gen Y clients. Uh, And they're all fee only. uh, So they're not selling products. They don't sell insurance. They don't sell investments. Uh, They're not incentivized to recommend one thing over another. They're really uh, they're fiduciaries. They're there to do what's in your best interest. Um, and best of all, they all work virtually. So it's one of our membership requirements is that they have to offer their services virtually, which means if you don't have one in your backyard, totally fine. Um, and, and you can work with anywhere across the country, which not only is a big help because there may not be one nearby, but two, who's got time to go to a financial planner's office these days? Uh, I'd right? much rather jump on Skype. So that's kind of where our, our advisors fit in and in, in being able to provide these services to younger clients. And yeah, I mean, much unlike your doctor, your financial advisor can be virtual. You know, you can literally be in another state across the country f- overseas and still feel like you're being well guided with your money. Thanks to Skype. Thanks to all sorts of mobile uh, devices. Now we can email at the very least. Um, and how much does it cost? So each advisor kind of sets their own fee structure based on who, what type of client they generally work with. So many of our advisors have a specialization. They may work with new parents. We have one uh, gentleman that works with missionaries and that's his passion and that is his focus. And so his fee structure is a little different, um, admittedly a little cheaper than the advisor that specializes in doctors. Uh, just because the service model is different, the income and that sort of thing. So uh, we see a range. Uh, most folks kind of fit into a range of somewhere between 100 to $200 a month in kind of a subscription service for financial planning. And, and I look at that and think, you know, I spend more than that on my CrossFit membership, my Verizon bill, my cable bill. Uh, <laughs> so we've really been able to or we're, we're trying to bring financial planning down in terms of cost to make it accessible to, uh, you know, the, the vast majority of us. Foundationally, do you think your advice is different that you would give to a millennial, to a young adult versus somebody who would charge a higher fee that is, quote unquote, a wealth manager? Or is it just that you're more accessible and you're more in tune to your audience 
Does the advice differ? The advice is actually completely different. And this is something that the advisory community is really struggling to understand. uh, But consumers just inherently understand this. And that is if you're in your 20s or in your 30s, the last thing you want to do is come talk to me about retirement planning because you don't want to be thinking about, oh, I just need to save all my money until I'm 65 and then I'm never going to work another day in my life. You want to understand how do you live your great life? And how do you live that life today? And how do you balance future needs and current needs? You don't want to talk, you know, uh, long-term retirement projections. You want to talk about cash flow, debt management, student loans, mortgages, having babies, getting married. When you, the traditional financial advisors work with wealthy individuals, they're not having these conversations at all. Um, And so it was actually kind of amusing. I was giving a presentation recently and I had to a group of about 400 financial advisors. And I said, raise your hand if you're a social security expert, if you could get up here and give an hour long presentation on social security, every hand went up. I said, how many of you would give an hour long presentation on student loans? No hands went up. I said, who here would be comfortable simply explaining the difference between pay as you earn and income based repayment programs with student loans? No hands went up. I mean, the traditional financial advisors don't understand the needs that we experience as millennials and as Gen Xers. And so uh, we just have the advisors that do understand it, that are passionate about it, that talk student loans. And honestly, don't ask them a question about Social Security. (laughs) And so at what point do you talk about retirement and Social Security with this crowd? Because I worry that if I don't think this is what you're saying, though, you know, that we're just neglecting this altogether, but that there are other things that take priority currently. But at what point do you then have the the retirement conversation and and so that it's not like a let's catch up and hurry to save mm-hmm. for this because we've been so focused on student loans can you strike a balance yeah that's a great question so i shouldn't I, I don't mean to imply that we just ignore retirement planning the traditional way that we've done retirement planning though has been to project um and to make a bunch of guesses about Uh, what your income is going to be over the next 30 or 40 years and what your utility bill is going to be in retirement and inflation. I mean, we have we make all these guesses to try to show where you're going to be in retirement. And really, it's just one giant guess. And so instead, the retirement conversation is very different. It is, hey, how do we uh, take control of your spending, be very conscious spenders so that we're saving appropriately going forward? And yeah, we can make some projections about what that number needs to be. But essentially, we're just trying to move the needle when it comes to good financial habits and and even just putting some money away. You know, and I guess looking at at a retirement projection for me, that would be, you know, 40 years down the line is I, I guess it could be helpful, but I don't really think so. I think it's more helpful to say, Hey, let's just start saving a little bit. Let's save a little bit more next year and a little bit more the next year so that when we get to this point, we're not playing catch up and we're and we kind of get ourselves on track because ultimately the projection isn't what's important. It's really about developing good financial habits today. So a question that my brother might have in his cohorts, he's 24. He's very entrepreneurial. He does not work for a company that offers a 401k. Big sister Farnoosh is constantly on his case to open up a Roth IRA or do something like an investment vehicle for retirement, specifically for retirement. He is of the camp because he loves James Altucher and he's been on the show twice and some of the more um, kind of out of the box thinkers about what you should do with your money, particularly at a young age. And he believes he should, well, he doesn't, he asks me, he's not sure whether he should do this. So I'm asking you, would he be better off taking that money and say, investing it in the business that he wants to launch or investing it in some skill building, investing it in personal growth as opposed to a Roth IRA. Um, And maybe he could do both, but 
because when you're young, this is really the time to be investing in yourself. Although there is this thing called compound interest. So now where do we draw the line? How do we do that? How do we strike that balance? It's a great question. And this is kind of, this is a classic argument uh, among financial advisors. And and so I would actually argue that I would lean towards the direction your brother's talking about going, which is investing in himself. Um, the investing in yourself has by far the highest rate of return that you can ever ask for. And whether that's getting an additional degree or certification or more training or investing in a business, um, that's really where you build wealth. And, and yes, putting money into the Roth IRA is important and hopefully you can do both. Um, but I can say for my personal life, um, I, I have most of my money tied up in businesses. Um, and, and I'm in that same boat as, you know, not much older than your brother, that that's kind of where my wealth is being built is inside of businesses, not necessarily inside of a Roth IRA at this point. Um, so it is a little different, I would say, than, than the traditional advice that financial advisors are throwing out there. But uh, it. It, it's a little more risky, you know, uh, than necessarily just putting your money into a Roth. But um, I think that's really where long term wealth comes is by investing in yourself and getting used to that risk early on and knowing what it feels like to stomach that because he might lose that money in a year because he did something riskier. But maybe he'll learn he's young enough to be able to recover at, at this age and, and maybe master it later on. And he's going to learn a lot. You know, I have had businesses fail and I've learned more from the failures of my businesses than than probably from the successful ones. And so uh, you learn a lot in that process. And there's really no way to learn uh, those, you know, without that experience. So it's really important to, to experience that. And it's not that you're out there looking for failure, but it's saying, hey, be open to the fact that what you're doing may not work, but you're going to learn from it and move on. And, and that's going to uh, failures today will will drive your your future successes. Right. You're going to fail. I mean, just accept Absolutely. it. You're going to fail to some extent. Uh, so just go for it. And and if you can assume that and be okay with that and know be somewhat prepared for managing it, then I think that's that's more than half the battle. What is your financial philosophy, Alan? As a forty under forty in financial planning, um, wealth management calls you the 10 to watch in 2015. Uh, share your wisdom with us. What's one major overarching financial philosophy that you have that you share with clients and friends? Life isn't about maximizing money for retirement. And again, this is kind of that rub between uh, the traditional financial planning and the way that, that many of us operate. And that's that it's not all about retirement. It's about living your great life. And only you can define what that great life is. And maybe that's, you you know, a desire to travel or a desire for more time with family or you want to open a wildlife rehabilitation center or you want to work virtually. I don't know. But whatever it is for you, be willing to admit it. Be willing to say, this is my goal. This is what I want to do with my life. Uh, be willing for people to make fun of you. That's totally fine. Um, and then align your finances to support whatever that great life is. So, um, you know, that may involve starting a business. It may involve taking a pay cut in order to do the job that you love. It, it may involve downsizing from a big house to a studio apartment. Um, there may be some changes that you ultimately make, but that's okay. And it's not just about make as much money as you can, save as much money as you can. And then one day you never have to work again. Uh, maybe enjoy your job so much that you don't want to quit working at 65. Uh, maybe take enough time off throughout your lifetime that you don't feel like, you know, you got to fit it all in when you're in your sixties because you may not get there. You know, many of us won't make it into our 60s to spend the money that we're saving. Uh, it doesn't mean you want to get into your 60s and not have any money. It's all about balance and, and finding that balance for yourself. Yes. 
I love that. Finding your, your discovering what it is, what it is your great life. I mean, I think that, I don't know if I could tell you right off the top of my head what that would look like, but it's sure fun thinking about it. And I can tell you that however you define it, uh, you'll test drive it and realize it wasn't quite what it was cracked up to be right. and things adjust. Um, and so it's just kind of fun. That's how we experience life is just going out there and kind of seeing what's there. And so many breakthroughs I've heard on this show from guests who uh, as soon as they understand what that great life is, it's such it's a life altering moment because really for a lot of them, they realize it's not the life they're living, even though they are successful and they feel they have done everything right. They're highly schooled. They're um, in good relationships. But there is that something that je ne sais quoi that's missing. And often it's fulfillment because they weren't truly following their passion, listening to their voice as opposed to doing what they thought society wanted them to do. So I think that's uh, good advice for everybody. And that's really what financial planning should be about is discovering what that great life is, you know, and and again, we tend to focus on just saving, but it's kind of like the difference between seeing a pile of, uh, let's say you have a 10,000 piece puzzle. Like it's the difference between having a pile of puzzle pieces (laughs) and slowly kind of working through that being like, oh, look how much I'm accomplishing over time versus having the picture on the front of the box. And the picture on the front of the box is what you really need. And that is the financial plan. Um, But the only way to get that picture is to really be able to say what your great life is, because then you know what you're shooting for and things move so much faster. And that, like you said, is where the breakthroughs come. How did you become so wise? I mean, you obviously have all the credentials, but you didn't become just another financial planner. Like you, you really carved a niche for yourself and became, uh, became a master in this space for so many uh, millennials and young adults and young families. You identified this market and you're executing this business so successfully. How did you become who you are? We know that there was a path that you had to follow, which was to get credential. But then what? What were the experiences that led you to this point? You know, I, um, I've never really taken orders. Well, um, I've never been one to respect the status quo and that's just part of my upbringing. Um, I was actually homeschooled my whole life. And and so all of my friends have always blamed that on, uh, blamed, you know, my inability to just follow the status quo and the fact that I didn't go to like traditional schooling system and, and learn how to follow the status quo. So that it's probably partially my parents' fault. Uh, but you're right. I went through the traditional process and I was going to be, you know, I, I was actually following a very traditional path myself. Uh, got my first job in financial planning, was going to take over the firm one day because that's what you did. I ended up going to another firm uh, halfway across the country. And six months later, I got fired. And I just sat there and realized one person in my life that I didn't even really like, which was my boss at the time, had a full power over me. He had full control over my life and my income. And I vowed then that I would I would never make that mistake again. I would never give one person that much power over me or or take that much risk. You know, people think starting a business is risky. I think having a salary from so that somebody else dictates is really risky. And so just kind of set out on this journey to say, you know, what what's my great life and what can I do to support that? And it ultimately ended up just being, you know, building a business that uh, supported my great life and, and in return happened to kind of fall into this niche of wanting to serve younger clients. And it's just such a wide open place uh, in the financial planning profession that um, it was easy to become an expert because there was no one else doing it. So kind of winning by default, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and getting fired. Awesome. I love when decisions are made for you. 
yeah, I needed to leave there. And I knew I would at some point I was in a relationship that didn't, that wasn't in the the right position. She wasn't going to grad school and I didn't need to lose my job, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it ended up getting taken from me. And, and honestly, um, I don't want to give him credit for, for my future successes, but I will say that that was a real turning point for me, Mm -hmm. uh, to, to just, I don't know, embrace the fact that, um, I needed to work for myself and that, and that that was okay. What's your biggest failure, Alan? Financial failure. Have you ever had one? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I, I'm one, I'm like an eternal optimist. So anytime I think of like what other people would consider a failure, I'm like, look at what all I learned from this failure. Isn't it great? Um, I would say, I mean, I've had a couple of businesses that didn't quite make it. Um, honestly, my biggest failure I would say in the traditional sense, and I'm still doing this, and that is that I, I overinvest in myself and businesses probably. Um, so if you look at my balance sheet, it doesn't look like um, it's appropriate for a financial planner because you're like, again, where's the Roth IRA getting money? Where's the 401k? Um, I have invested in very high risk businesses, which are the one are small businesses and ones that I'm building. Uh, but I love it so much. It's so much fun. I, I figure there's always an opportunity to take a job and um you know, go earn a salary if I need to. And so for now, it just makes sense at my age to do that. But um, yeah, I don't think I have anything that I would say is just like huge failure um, that that has just like tanked me because everything has kind of led down the path to where I am now. And success, let's flip it. You're, you can only pick one moment of pure success. So money moment. I ask this of all my guests to identify a moment in their career, in their personal life when they achieved a a substantial amount of financial success, thanks to their own good efforts, hard work. What would be one example of this in your in your adult life, Alan? This may be cheating, um, but I have always said that my dream life was I wanted to be able to ski on Wednesdays. And I remember a moment um, I moved to Bozeman, Montana uh, on a whim because I love skiing and, and wanted to be here near skiing. Uh, and that's where I live now. And I remember being up on the ski hill, um, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning on a Wednesday thinking, this is it. This is, this is me having achieved my great life. Um, I make a lot less money probably than, than I could if I went to work on wall street or work in, you know, San Francisco or something like that. But I had finally reached the point to where the business, um, and I built the business to support kind of the life that I wanted to live. And and that was being able to ski whenever I wanted. And so that was when I really just felt success. And it was, uh, is it Steve jobs that said, that said, um, uh, it sure did take a long time to become an overnight success. And, uh, you know, that, that a lot of really boring decisions, uh, led to the ability to do that. And it was a lot of, you know, nightly grinds and working long weekends and, and really being intentional about building a business that was going to support what it was that I was looking for. Um, and that was kind of when I realized like, Hey, this, this actually worked kind of, and I made it to where I wanted to be. And where are you now located full-time? I'm in Bozeman, Montana, um, more times than not. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Nice. So maybe that's what we should think about when we think about our great life is what is, what is one recreational thing or one fun thing that you would like to have in your life on a consistent basis daily, because it adds to your happiness, your health, your fulfillment. And the closer you get to that, the more you can afford that, then the more you are achieving this quote unquote great life. Maybe something it's a, t- maybe that's a, an exercise. Yeah. I love having people put their ideal calendar or their ideal schedule on their calendar. And so I'm a big CrossFitter. Um, and as you know, the, the first rule of CrossFit is never stop talking about CrossFit. So I have to mention it at least three times on the podcast. Um, <laughs> no, but 
you know, the, the deal is I love doing CrossFit and I want to be sure that that gets incorporated in my life. Cause that's important to me. I, I have a one-year-old, I want to spend time with him. So time with my son goes on my calendar, CrossFit goes on my calendar. Uh, maybe your thing is yoga or it's travel or, you know, volunteering at the local animal shelter, whatever that is, put it on your calendar. So you actually start doing it today. Cause too often we start saying, Oh, I don't have time to do the things I want to do. Go ahead and schedule out the things you want to do. And you, I think you'll be amazed to realize how everything else that you need to get done work wise and uh, relationship wise and that sort of thing kind of fits in around those pieces because you're really incentivized to go do the things that you love doing. So uh, you don't have to wait until you're 65 to really go live your great life and, and travel the world. You can do that now. It's just about being really intentional about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting a bit a partner in crime. So you schedule that CrossFit, but you do it with a friend. So you show Absolutely. up and you feel accountable. All right. What's one habit that you incorporate into your life, a financial habit Alan, that helps you maintain this great life. You have got to track your spending. And I know, I I know what listeners are thinking like, Oh God, here they go again, talking about budgeting. Um, I'm actually not the biggest fan of budgeting because um, for the most part, it doesn't work for most people. We just suck at it. And that's just a human nature. Um, But you got to track your spending. You've got to know where your money's going because that's the only way to really be aware. Uh, so a friend of mine, uh, Carl Richards, uh, has this exercise where he has people go through the last three months of, of expenses and basically say, did this uh, expense match of match your values? You know, and you'll go through like, you know, I don't know, dinner out with the spouse. Yeah, it matches your values. Uh, you know, the Starbucks coffee. No, probably not. And you start having all these yes, no's, yes, no's. And you start to realize just how much money we're spending on things that don't really contribute to our happiness and don't contribute to our great life. And so being really intentional about understanding where your money's going is crucial because without that, uh, you're you're very much kind of wandering around without a map, uh, middle of the woods without a map kind of thing. So that's really going to be your map is where your money's going. I look forward to interviewing Carl Richards at FinCon this fall, this month, actually, September. Um, we'll be bringing you that interview soon. He's a certified financial planner, also really um, an expert in uh, behavior. And he's got a, a website called behaviorgap.com. So looking forward to that. Happy to hear that he's also one of your... Uh, go-tos. Yeah, he's phenomenal. You're going to love having him on the show. Ready for some so money fill in the blanks, Alan? You did not get these questions beforehand. We should tell the audience and you've been doing really well at navigating these questions uh, unseen. But this is the part of the show where I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Sounds like fun. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty fun. First If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say a hundred million bucks, the first thing I would do is start a financial literacy program that basically brings financial planning, uh, makes it more accessible to the folks that really can't afford it in that hundred to $200 a month range and really focuses on the folks that need substantial help uh, today. Excellent. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is... Mm, good question. Um, that, that you can always make more of it. Um, so I, I kind of learned growing up that in many ways that it was um, finite and that, that there is almost like a, oh, what's the word? Um, kind of this uh, constriction mentality. I'm a big believer now in abundance mentality. And, and I wish I had realized that there was always going to be a way to make more money. And you just have to keep focusing on finding that way. Yeah. Growing up for me, it was like the only way to make more money was to wait for the raise. 
or mm-hmm. ask for a raise. Exactly. It wasn't, you know, let's, let's start a, a side business or be entrepreneurial. I think that, that, that mentality is changing though. Uh, which is nice to see. One thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is getting my meals cooked for me. Really? So how does every day? Um, not every day, but um, we have a company here in Montana that that delivers meals um, a couple times a month. And so um, I will order meals in bulk so that I at least half of my dinners and therefore and then lunches the next day are, are taken care of. That is awesome. Do you like the food? Is it like I know you're probably pretty healthy, health conscious. Is it uh, is it to your liking? Obviously, it is if you keep doing it. It is. I love it. So like I've tried some of those um, uh, recipe delivery systems. Uh, we don't have to name any of them, but uh, they it's kind of challenging because you still have to cook it. So these kind of come pre prep, throw in the skillet, crock pot or oven. And uh, this particular system allows you to exclude ingredients. So um, I hate cilantro. It's like it's, oh. it's a thing. And I hate it, that too. I hate. I don't. People make so much fun of us. Over no, that. but there's there's two types of people in this world: those who love cilantro and those who abhor cilantro. And it's just one of those things. I think if you ask like a taste bud expert or some, or you know, there's actually probably a biological thing behind it because um, it is such a gap. There's no one that's like, eh, eh, I, I kind of like cilantro. No, you either <laughs> like yes, more cilantro or. Absolutely not. And for me, it tastes like soap. Exactly. It does. That's just, and it wasn't, it was an aversion that developed not right away. It was something like, you know, when I was a teenager, I was, my mom used to put in all this, all our cooking. And then she, and then I would ask, like, no cilantro, please, in my portions because it made me gag. (laughs) Oh my gosh. See, you learn something new every day on the show. You learn something new every day on the show. But yeah, so I just say no cilantro, no onions, no whatever your thing is. You just say no and and the meals come. Yeah, it is a huge time saver, not only in um, actually cooking the meals, but also in thinking about the meals I'm going to cook that week and grocery shopping. Uh It's just a lot of time and energy. I went grocery shopping yesterday with my husband and um, I just we always get the same things and it's never very we don't we need to learn how to either cook some new meals or just get better at finding these resources like you have. We don't want to keep ordering out, ordering in rather. We want to maybe find the service that can make us and prepare us foods that are actually delicious and healthy and affordable as opposed to going to the grocery store, which we, we're just not creative enough. We don't have to, again, it's the fatigue. After a whole day of working and dealing with a million and one things, to think about what you're going to cook. I'm not one of those people that looks forward to cooking. Me neither. Unless, yeah. And I can tell you, if we have it in a town of 38,000 people in the middle of Montana, I bet you've got it near your place. So you, you do, just have to there, look around. Yeah, I got to look around. There's a few services, but they're pretty pricey. But I'm sure mm. there's a market for everything. How about this? One thing that I splurge on that I wouldn't have it any other way. My biggest guilty pleasure is... CrossFit. Yep. I, I spend a lot of money on it and it is worth every penny. I would literally give up my apartment before I would what? give up my CrossFit membership. <laughs> I just, you know, it's not only about staying healthy, it's also about community. And I, I have learned the older you get, the uh, the harder it is to meet friends <laughs> that have uh, similar values as you do. And so it's really my home at this point. So mm-hmm. I would I would probably get a cot and move into my CrossFit gym before I would uh, give up my membership. When I donate... I like to give to blank because 
typically the Red Cross for um, for big, you know, events and helping out with, you know, Katrina or tsunami and things like that, just because I, I know the money's going where I need it to go. Yeah. That's awesome. And last but not least, I'm Alan Moore. I'm so money because. Oh, man, that's such a good question. You caught me on that one. Well, first, thanks for letting me know it's a good question, because sometimes guests are so perplexed and kind of like irked by this question because they think, oh, this is so not what I would ever say about myself. And I'm like, loosen up. (laughs) loosen up this isn't like you know i'm just giving you a platform here to brag a little bit about why you're so uh so great with your money and which we should embrace and celebrate so run with it run with this i think i'm so money because i work for myself and and i know that for people that haven't started a business yet or, or in business for themselves, there's just so many things to to try to tell them, to convince them to go do their own thing. And I know everyone's not built to, to start their own business, but um, ultimately it just gives me so much control and satisfaction in my life and allows me to make honestly as much money as I want to make uh, because I control how much I work and how hard I work and where those hours are spent. Um, but it also allows me to you know spend more time with my son. So yeah, I, I would have to say working for myself is huge. And your son is one? He just turned one. Oh, mine also just turned one a couple months ago. What's his thing? Like where, what's the new, the new and latest? What's his name? His name is Ridge and he learned to walk at like 11 months and he went from walking to running (gasps) in about five minutes, I think. So he is a hundred miles an hour at all times. I love it. He's just exhausting to keep up with, but he's so much fun. Keeps you fit. uh, Keeps you ready for the next CrossFit session. Oh my goodness. I'm chasing him like clear across the park. If you let him go for, you know, five seconds, he's far enough away that I'm running oh to catch God. up with him. So he's a ton of fun. That's great. It's fun to see kids at the, like they're all around the same age, but they all have their own pace. And it's really fun to watch. My son just started walking on his own and he is like getting very, he, he's one of those, I like to say he's a perfectionist. He waits till he gets it right. And then he mm. goes for it. That's just a proud parent. Yeah. Um, Ridge really, is like a drunken sailor. Like <laughs> They're all drunk at this stage. Crash and burns and up and moving. Oh, yeah, it's so much fun. <laughs> it's so much fun. Well, too bad you're so far away. Whether we'd have, we'd have a play date or something, but um, for sure. looking forward to airing this. And thank you so much for joining us, Alan. Thanks. This has been a blast. That's a wrap, everyone. Thanks to Alan Moore for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about him, his company's website is xyplanningnetwork.com. And Alan is on Twitter at r underscore Alan underscore more. All of this over at SoMoneyPodcast.com in case you missed it, as well as the transcript, the comments. And I want to hear from you. As you know, weekly, I answer your questions here on the show. So go to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and that's where you can submit your question to me. And I hope, hope we'll connect. Let me know what's on your money mind. Thanks, everyone. Hope your day is so money. So Money.